We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. The Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. How, how many makers and cokes have you had? We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. All right, welcome in everyone to another episode of the Music City Audible presented by Broadway Sports Media. We are partnered with 440 Sports. Make sure you're checking out www.broadwaysportsmedia.com. I am Justin Graver. My co-host as always is Justin Mello. We're coming to you on Thursday night recording. Obviously the episode comes out Friday morning, but we are exactly one week away from the draft. And to celebrate that on Wednesday... Justin, you dropped a top 150 big board. How you feeling? Feeling feeling good, man. A lot of work has, has gone into this the last eight months or so. And, uh, you know, starting to bring that a little more to the forefront. And, you know, the interviews are going crazy. The big board, I'm trying to publish the top 200 um, by the time the draft rolls around. I've got 250 names on my big board. I don't know that I'm going to get a chance to publish for 250 with, with how busy I am with everything else. But... It's been fun and uh, got, got a lot of things planned for this next week that I, I do. Nice. And we are looking forward to that. Be sure to check out Justin if you're listening to this on Friday morning. You got a couple radio appearances. Do you want to you list those? Yeah, uh, this Friday. So if you are listening to this on Friday morning, then you'll, you'll have time uh, to, to tune in. So Friday afternoon, I'm joining uh, Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone at 225 Central. Of course, that's PM Talking Titans Draft with Blaine and Mickey. I'm excited to do that. And then just a little bit later at uh, 4.05 Central, uh, I'll be joining uh, the George Plaster Show on Nashville Sports Radio. So a couple of big local appearances uh, that I'll be doing Friday afternoon. Uh, excited to talk uh, Titans and drafts with those folks. Nice. Well, we are excited to tune in to those appearances. Make sure you guys check Justin out there. Today, we're going to talk about the draft. We're going to go through a a top 10 list that we put together, what we believe to be the most likely potential picks for the Titans at pick 22. Obviously, this is our last podcast episode before the draft starts. The first round will be next Thursday. So next week's episode, we'll be recapping that pick and talking a little bit about about day two and day three, which which will be upcoming. But... Since this is our last episode before the draft, we figured we'd focus pretty heavily on round one, and we'll get a chance to react to round one and talk about the the rest of the draft next week. So we'll focus on a top 10 list of guys we think are most likely, with a few honorable mentions we'll name. But first, we do have some news. On Thursday, the Titans decided to sign four players, pretty much out of nowhere. This is pretty random to happen one week before the draft, but, you know. Who John (laughs) Robinson up from his slumber, huh? I know. Like, shouldn't John be like deep in in draft droves right now? Whatever, it's not important. Um, <laughs> Titans signed defensive lineman Woodrow Hamilton, defensive lineman Bruce Hector, linebacker B.J. Bello, and defensive back Chris Jones. I'm in a, a Titans chat with some other fans, and people were saying today, "Wow, we signed four creative players." <laughs> like i've never heard of any of these guys except for chris jones who isn't the chris jones you think obviously not this star defensive tackle for the chiefs this is defensive back chris jones so all four guys are udfa type guys that have bounced around the league a little bit probably come in and and shore up the back half of the roster get some camp body action and most importantly 
these guys will be looking to carve out a role on special teams where we know the Titans lost a number of key players. So your, your thoughts on this, these four signings. Yeah. I mean, not, 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 not a ton of thoughts here. The BJ Bella one stood out to me initially uh, because he's played so much on special teams, right? I think it was John Glennon who, who tweeted out, he's got like 530 special team snaps to his name. And the reason I mentioned that being notable is, and I, I feel like I'm getting a dead horse. I, I know I've said this a couple of times, but people don't realize sometimes how important special teams are uh, to NFL coaches. Titans got three primarily special teams linebackers that they decided not to resign. And I mean, those uh, all three of them are actually still free. So they can still come back at some point. But talking about Will Compton, of course, fan favorite, uh, Darren Bates and Nick DeZubnar. So you're three guys that played a lot of special teams last year. They were all on one-year deals. Titans have not re-signed them yet. Of course, things could change as they get into training camp. You know, they didn't bring Will Compton in last year until training camp. So uh, or it was fairly close to the season it was. So things can change. But on the surface, to me, I would say this B.J. Bello uh, guy coming over from the Chargers is a guy that's going to fill one of those roles, right? He's going to be primarily – this is the second special teams linebacker they've signed. In the last few weeks, yeah. Right, and they had the guy over from Pittsburgh as well, right, a couple of weeks after the Bud Dupree. That was another primarily special teams guy. So I expect Bello to come in and, and replace either Darren Bates or or Nick DeZubnar or even Compton. So that's probably the one that's most notable. Two of these guys, as pointed out by, by Mike Herndon, of course, of our very own Broadway Sports uh, Bello, uh, BJ Bello, and Bruce Hector spent time with Jim Schwartz in Philadelphia. So that's that's borderline interesting. It's it's probably not a coincidence. It could be, but it's probably not. Get, you know, get Schwartz a couple of guys that he's familiar with, and then and then Chris Jones, a DB out of Nebraska. That one I actually you talked about create a player. I actually interviewed Chris Jones before he got drafted, so okay. I got to spend that time with him. So I do know him well, and I I, I remember. Uh, him signing with the Lions as a UDFA. And I, I remember that interview vividly. Um, so, you know, good for him. And I hope hope he does some things here. He has appeared in a couple of NFL games. He actually did play, uh, you know, uh, in 2020 a little bit. Played for the Lions one game only, but he played eight for Minnesota last year. So bounced around the league a little bit, but he has played a little. So he'll come in and, and try to carve out a role, um, you know, A, on special teams or B, as a, a fifth or sixth cornerback. So four signings here. Woodrow Hamilton's the only one I didn't touch on there. Uh, big boy, 6'3", 315. You know, the Hector and Hamilton signing, two defensive linemen. Keep in mind, they lost Daquan Jones a day before they made a day before they made these signings. Right? Daquan heading over to Carolina on a one-year four million dollar deal. We didn't we didn't touch on that. That's, that's right. that that's a loss. You know, that I, I would like to think that's a loss. I like Daquan Jones, liked what he brought to the team. So here they go signing 2D linemen. They, I think was it Matt Dickerson? I think signed somewhere else this offseason as well. Right. I think he signed with signed with Vegas. I'm gonna I'm, Vegas. I'm gonna say. So that's another you know depth D lineman correct. that they lost. You are. Correct. I'm sorry. You are correct. He signed in Vegas. I'm correct. Yeah, I remember that. So Dickerson with Vegas. Uh, Bledsoe is no longer in the picture. I think they they got rid of him a year ago. But a lot of these D you know D linemen are no longer in the picture. You get guys like Hamilton and Hector, and they're not guaranteed roster spots. Roster spots. Excuse me. But the interesting thing here is I think they'll have a chance. And if you know what I mean, there's not a lot of proven commodities. And of course the draft hasn't happened yet. So that, that could change things, but outside of, you know, uh, of, um, they lost Jack Crawford too, right? They haven't brought Jack Crawford back, not right. to ramble, but there, there's room here, you know, outside of guys like, T, you know, Dina Coatri and Jeffrey Simmons, there, there's not really anything proven behind those two. So Hamilton Woodrow, they'll come in and try to compete with two sophomores, TR Tart and Laurel Murchison. 
right? Those are the guys that you're battling for, uh, for snaps with. And of course, I would like to think Tart and, and, and Murchison have the edge on them because A, they use the draft pick on Murchison and, and B, Tart did some good things, right? In, in flashes last year. So they should have the edge, but certainly haven't proven enough, right? Where guys like Hamilton and Hector can't come in and, 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 and take a job. Exactly. And yeah, you did mention the other linebacker. That was Ola Adaini. They signed him a couple weeks ago from Pittsburgh. He's a special teams guy. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Bates, Compton, DeZubnar, all those guys were in their 30s, right? 30 or 31? Yeah, definitely. It looks like- I mean, if if, the, if one of them is 29, that's probably the youngest. Yeah. I, think, I think all of them are in their 30s. So BJ Bello, who... You know, has been in the league since 2017. Chris Jones has been in the league since since 2018. These guys are young. They're in their, their early to mid-20s. So kind of getting younger and, and maybe more athletic on special teams. And then on the defensive line, you know, I kind of always thought of Danico Autry as more of a Jack Crawford replacement. And replacement's not the right, right word because he's definitely an up, a huge upgrade over what an you upgrade, get. An upgrade, yeah. Right. Yeah, from that position. Better but, player. Better player for sure. But more of the guy who's going to play you know, from three tech out to five tech and play that elephant end role that Jack Crawford played a lot and, and kind of come off the edge and play in the interior. Whereas he's not as much of a Daquan Jones replacement. Daquan's really like a nose, a nose tackle one tech kind of really interior guy who I agree is a big loss, but I think the theme here is the Titans are trying to improve in the pass rush department. And if that means sacrificing some great run defenders like Daquan Jones, and I think Daquan Jones, you know, he was having a really great year. I think it, I want to say it was 2018. He tore his ACL. Maybe it was 2017. And it was the best year of his career at that, to that point. And he tore his ACL. And I don't know if he was ever really the same player coming back from that. He definitely, it took him at least a full year to really get back to full strength. And I don't know if full strength was ever really pre-ACL. So I think he was kind of an ascending player and that unfortunate injury happened. And that was the end of his ascension. So you know, Titans, again, getting younger on defense, and we'll see if Hamilton or Hector end up making the team. But I think what's interesting here is it is signaling something, as we transition to draft talk here, it is signaling something we've been hearing in the rumor mill. Now, I don't know what to believe and what not to believe, but Matt Miller was all over Jeffrey Simmons to the Titans two years ago, and he was all over Isaiah Wilson to the Titans last year. And Matt Miller says, I think he said something like, keep an eye on in." interior defensive line for the Titans at number 22. And then he mocked Levi on Wuzurike to the Titans at 22. Meanwhile, Dane Brugler, a couple days before that, mocked Christian Barmore to the Titans at 22. Feels like there's some rumors around league circles that the Titans are looking at interior defensive line. So it's not that much of a surprise if you if you think of it from that standpoint to see them sign two interior defensive linemen before the draft. Obviously, they don't know how the draft's going to fall. This could be an indication that they are looking at this position, but just in case the guy they like isn't there when they're picking, they have a, an insurance plan or backup plan. Thoughts on that theory? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because I don't know that Hamilton and Hector are anything more than, than camp bodies who are going to try to battle for a final roster spot. I, I do agree with what you said that, you know, in the vein of things, you know, these guys are 6'3", 300 plus pounds. They're probably more of a quote-unquote attempt at replacing Daquan Jones than Dina Coatri is, right? A guy who, like you said, is going to play that elephant role, uh, shoot out from three tech to five tech, I think you said there. And, and, and these guys aren't those guys, right? Hector's not that guy. Woodrow Hamilton is not that guy. These are big-bodied guys, right, that, that if they make the team, 
and they play, they're going to be used to plug up the middle, right? And that's what TR Tart is uh, in a vacuum. So it's interesting. And, and, and you mentioned the theme of getting younger. It's another place that they're getting younger, right? Not only with, with Bello and, and, and the linebacker over for the special teams from Pittsburgh, replacing Bates and Zubnar and Compton. But if, you, if you're replacing Daquan Jones with a TR Tart or a Laurel Murchison, or even one of these guys, a Woodrow Hamilton or a Bruce Hector, then once again, you've gotten younger. So definitely a, a pretty consistent theme that we've seen uh, from the team this offseason. Yeah, and if you listen to the F-Words podcast, which you definitely should be listening to in addition to this one, Mike was talking about that on this week's episode, how the Titans pretty much cut almost every player on the defense that's over 30 this offseason or last offseason, looking at Logan Ryan, Malcolm Butler, um, Kenny Vaccaro, um, Daquan Jones, not cut, but not re-signed either. So, I mean, it's definitely... Kowski's not back as of now. He's probably one of the oldest guys on the team too, right? (laughs) Yeah, oldest guys in the league, one of uh, outside (laughs) of those old quarterbacks that are still playing. But yeah, so, you know, I I definitely think the team wants to be young, fast, and athletic on defense. Mike said that that is definitely where defenses need to be to to keep up with the speed that offenses have are deploying these days, the Tyreek Hills of the world. But on the flip side of that, you also want guys who know the system, especially when the system is complex. And last year, this, like the system was, I don't know what the system was because the system was bad or the players were bad or both. But, you know, you definitely need a mix of veteran leadership and young athletes. And you just have to hope that guys like Kevin Byard can provide that veteran leadership, Jayon Brown, who's only obviously on a one-year deal. But those guys have been here for a long time and they know the defense. So, so they'll be looked at to provide that leadership for young guys like Christian Fulton and new guys who are older veterans like Janoris Jenkins, or I should say Jack rabbit. Right. I think that's a really good point. And, and, you know, I, I think the Titans have done a decent job and, and we'll find out, but uh, this year, but I think they've done a decent job kind of straddling that line, so to speak. Right. Because like you said, they've gotten younger, but I don't know that they've completely abandoned leadership, right? A guy like Jack Rabbit, like you said, I think can come in and be a leader. Bud Dupree's not the oldest guy, but I think he's a leader type player, right? And if you read that article that I wrote with, with pass rushing coach, uh, Dr. Rush, the wonderful Chuck Smith, you get that hunch, right? That he's got some leadership to him. Dina Coatri's a bit, you know, not the youngest guy, not the oldest guy, definitely a leader type. If you've seen, if you've paid attention to the interviews that he's done and, and how people talk about him in Indianapolis when they lost him, you know, guys who cover the team, really well-respected journalists, uh, Stephen Holder, I believe it is with the athletic was, was huge on, on Dina Kowatri down there. So um, they, I think they've done a good job getting younger, but I, I think they've also added some guys that can come in and change this defense needs an attitude change, right? Let's be honest. So I think they've done a good job bringing in some of those guys that can do that for them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk now about the draft, and let's just do it. Let's get to our list. We have ten guys. Do you want to go from the bottom up, or should we, or should we go top down? Ask Surprise let's go top, me. Surprise let's go top me. down. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> so <laughs> we got together before this podcast and and tried to come up with ten guys that we believe are the most likely for the Titans to select. Now, obviously, this is going to be a very unpredictable draft, and I think this is going to be the type of draft where you see a bunch of guys go in the first round that everyone in the media had going on day two and a bunch of guys that everyone had going to on the first night will still be on the board heading into round two and everyone will be like, trade up, trade up, trade up, all this player and that player and all these other players are still available. And at the end of the day, and if you, if you pay close attention to the draft coverage out there, you'll have seen people saying this, but at the end of the day, it's just the most unpredictable draft we've ever had because even most years, 
I mean, most years, guys are lucky to get like six correct picks right in the first round. Uh, I'm talking about professional mock drafters. This year, you know, pro days were very limited. There was no scouting combine. They were, they were keeping the personnel at everything down. Players and teams didn't have in-person meetings or workouts. So the flow of information, not just between teams, not just from teams to players, but mostly from team sources to those media people who cover the league, that flow of information just isn't there this year. So even guys that we think right now of that we think of as like locks to go in the first round, I just think we're going to see so much, so much unpredictability on draft night. And I just wanted to preface our list by saying that because I think, I mean, you, you and I sat here and put this list together and we got to 10 and we were like, but what about these other guys? Like, there's a, that's the part of the fun this year is like, there's a lot of guys it could be. I agree, right? I think um, this is going to be a very unpredictable draft. We, we have less access. We have less information. But you know what? Looking on the bright side of it, that makes it exciting. You know, let's see what happens. I like going in and, and not really knowing what to expect. And I hope we can keep that feel um, a little bit over the next week because that's part of what makes the draft what it is. So but I think we've got 10 really good names here. Like you said, we could have expanded this. And that really speaks to the unpredictability of this year's draft but i think we did a good job putting together 10 names here and we're either going to look semi-smart next thursday or we're going to look a little stupid and and frankly <laughs> i'm here for either one i am too and it also speaks to how many positions the titans need to fill in this draft which leads me to my last point before we start on this list because all of these picks all of these players are options for pick 22 they are not trade-up scenario options and I think this is a hot topic among Titans fans, so I want to get it out of the way really quickly. Your thoughts on trading up in this year's draft for somebody like, let's say, everyone's favorite thing, to, everyone's favorite player to talk about in this scenario is Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith, who we just found out from his medical rechecks, measured in at just over six feet and only 166 pounds. A lot of people thought he was 6'1 or 6'2 and over 170, so only 166 pounds, only six feet tall. Are you trading up for Devontae Smith if he's there at 16, if he's there at 19? Was it, where's the number, and what are you willing to give up for this guy? That's an incredibly difficult question because I think this is a year, you know, on the surface where I, I would think the Titans can't afford to trade up because I think they have multiple holes, right? I don't think this is a situation where they're entering this draft where they need a guy or two, right? I think we could all agree that they need a couple of guys, right? They need, and they need to hit on those picks. I think there are lots of positions here, and, and we've covered them um, over the last several weeks that, that need some depth, maybe need a starter or two. So trading up is tough, right? When you're giving up uh, value, um, you know, and, and extra picks in this year's drafts, right? Where I think you need those picks. With that said, to play devil's advocate against myself, Devontae Smith is a guy that would be very tempting for me. That's a guy I think I, I could get behind trading up for. When you ask the question of where, I think 16 is where you start thinking about it, right? I think if he's still there, you start thinking about it now. So that's the Cardinals picking at 16. And frankly, I don't know that the Cardinals would even entertain it. Because we've heard, and I was going to say, I know they pick 16. There's, you know, they could probably, you know, you know how Cliff Kingsbury he is and he likes to play offense. If Devontae Smith is there at 16, the Cardinals should probably just draft him. That, that's that. my honest Well, there's I'm that, sorry. but there's there's also the idea that, or at least the rumor, that they love Zayvon Collins. So even if they don't want 
Devontae Smith at 16, they might be like, well, we're not moving all the way to 22 because Collins will be gone by that. So they're like, there's right. a chance they want to take Smith or just stay to pick someone else. Right. So I, I would start thinking about it there at 16. If he's there at 19. 19 is Washington for reference. Yeah, that's not going to cost you a whole lot to go from 22 to 19. So now if you're in a situation where you're talking about you're giving up what? A four? I mean, for me, the Titans, this draft is all about those first four picks. And they've got two of them in the picks, third round, right? Having four, four in the top picks 100. in the top 100 is so nice. So, so I agree. nice. So if you find yourself in a situation where you move up to get Smith at 19 and you're giving up your fourth rounder, which means you're keeping your pick in the 50s, you're keeping uh, and your two thirds at 85 and 100. I think you absolutely do that. Nice. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think that's the same line that I would stop at. And again, if you listen to Efforts Pod, that's what Mike said too. Given he wouldn't give up more than a fourth, and along with number twenty-two to move up, if you can get to seventeen or eighteen for the same price, you know, like I think you think about it. But it also depends on who else is there. If Devontae Smith is falling because receivers just aren't being drafted, then I mean, I do think Devontae Smith is a special talent. But Rashad Bateman is also a pretty special talent right i mean maybe not on the same level but who knows not if, on the if, same if, level but if you swap their college like land, starting and landing spots you know i still think Devontae smith is a is a class above he's a truly elite prospect but i'm i'm just saying bateman could have been pretty productive in that bama offense that steve sarkeesian designed to get great matchups for his receivers with an accurate quarterback making easy reads as opposed to you know bateman being constantly missed by his quarterback at Minnesota. I don't think that makes him a better player than Devontae Smith by any means. I'm not saying that by any means. I'm just saying opportunity cost-wise, giving up that fourth-round pick. I mean, Amani Hooker was a fourth-round pick. Fourth-round picks can become good, solid players for your team. They should, honestly. They don't have to be superstars, but they should be pretty good players. So giving up a player like that to go get a receiver when there's a lot of receivers. Now, if it's a situation where Smith is the receiver falling and Bateman's gone and Tony Kadarius Tony's gone, you know, and maybe obviously the top two, Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle. Then you start think that's when I think you really start thinking about it. You're like, other teams are preferring these other receivers to Devonta Smith. You know, our options for a wide receiver at 22 are getting slim, but one of the best ones is still there. I think that's when you make the move. I think you bring up a good point, of course, you know, Bateman, of, of course, you know, Devontae's situation was more favorable, playing at Alabama, playing with a good quarterback. Bateman didn't have that at Minnesota, but I, I, I still think, you know, I, and I love Bateman, and I know you do too, but I, I, I can't place him in the same category. I know you're not doing so either, but for me, the difference there where I disagree with you is the difference there is large enough where if I'm giving up a fourth, and the difference is I'm getting Devontae Smith instead of Rashad Bateman, then I'm absolutely doing it. I'm not even thinking twice about it. I'm not going to get into, well, you know, Bateman probably would have put up the same numbers at Alabama and Smith. What we saw Smith do, he's a Heisman winner. What we saw him do this year, he just abused cornerbacks on a weekly basis. I mean, the route running ability is just unbelievable. The ball skills, the truly is. And, and, even the he's advanced elusive stats. too, right? He's great in the open field too. Like oh, it's just he is. And if you look at Matt Harmon's reception perception, who who puts out really advanced stats for receivers, like specific routes they run and their success rate against press coverage, like he's just the best in the class at everything. At everything, it's crazy. Yeah. So for me at nineteen, I'm not even thinking twice. I would think I would start thinking about it at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and 
I, and I, I, where I disagree with Mike is if I do have to give up a third, I'm not saying I would. I'm just saying I wouldn't completely pull it off the table. Yeah, especially because now you have he's, two he's, he's special. Picks. I know yeah. there's the weight thing, but he's special. I agree. Weight doesn't the weight doesn't concern me there at all. I absolutely believe Devontae Smith is the outlier. And hey, the last time the Titans drafted a Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Alabama, right. it worked out pretty well. Pretty well, I'd <laughs> and say. And people had concerns about his size too on a totally different, like not even close to the same reasons, but people were saying he's too big. He can't move, he can't change direction quickly enough. He's gonna get stopped in the backfield a lot. And he leads the league in in rushing. Talking about Derrick Henry, of course. He leads the league in rushing since 2019. So, all right. We've covered all of those conversations. We'll talk a little bit more about Rashad Bateman in a second because he's definitely on our list. But at number one, a guy you and I both selected at number 22 overall in our mock draft exercise last episode, cornerback Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech, a bona fide top 10 talent in this class with huge concerns over his injury situation, tore his ACL as a freshman in 2017, excuse me, uh, obviously herniated a disc in his back it, towards the end of 2019 and then had a second surgery for it earlier this year. What are your thoughts on Caleb Farley being at the top of our list? I love Caleb Farley. I mean, the tape is unbelievable. Uh, he, he's an elite prospect. And, and you, it's tough to talk about here because we don't have access to the medicals. Exactly. And, and, and that's that's probably the determining factor here for every NFL team, right in the draft. Because, uh, you know, I think John Robinson said last year that his 11 year old cousin could scout a player that's that good. Yeah, and he, <laughs> I actually remember him saying that when he drafted Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah, and it's the same thing. You don't have to have uh, a PhD, so to speak, in scouting to know that Caleb Farley's a really good prospect and a really good football player. Can I say something about him just to get Titans fans excited? Yeah. So Caleb Farley was a quarterback in high school. He was recruited to Virginia Tech as a wide receiver. And he right. got out there for spring practice in 2017 as a wide receiver. And in the preseason training camp, he tore his ACL. He came back from his torn ACL and his, had a talk with his coaches and decided that the best fit for his skill set would be if he switched over to defensive back. And this guy goes out there at cornerback, his first game ever playing cornerback, ever, against Florida State on September 3rd, 2018. He got a little bit cooked in the first quarter. He looked a little shaky out there. He'd never played the position before in his whole life. He missed a tackle in the backfield. But then something clicked for him, and he had a blitz off the edge, and he grabbed a sack. He peeled off his man on one play, watching the ball in the air, and Almost came up with his first interception. It skidded off the ground. A few plays later, he did get his first interception, just running with a guy downfield on a deep post route and jumping over top and fighting for the ball and taking it. Remember, he was going to be a wide receiver. And then comes back in the fourth quarter for his second interception. This is his first game ever playing cornerback. The first interception was like a clear man-to-man situation. Second interception, he's in like a cover three zone role. He reads the route combination, drops off the man that he starts on, comes over to the middle of the field and jumps the route for his second interception, which happened to be the game ceiling play. I mean, th this guy just has unbelievable instincts at the position. He's so fast. I think the GPS data clocked him over 24 miles per hour in the 2019 season. He was rumored to run in the four twos 
in the 40 yard dash. Obviously he didn't get to run at his pro day because of his back surgery this year. But I mean, this is a guy that I just think is so talented. And again, if the medicals check out, apparently he got really good reports on the medicals from Indianapolis in the recheck that they, that they just did whatever, a couple weeks ago, expected to be ready for August. I just love everything about this prospect. He shouldn't be there at 22. And if he is, I've almost got myself worked up to the point where I'm actually going to be disappointed if the Titans draft anyone but Caleb Farley. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. I mean, he was one of the first guys I started scouting, right? Way back in like October um, of last year when I really started diving into this class. And you turn the tape on against Notre Dame from the 29, uh, 2019 season, excuse me. And there are so many good instincts there. And there's so many good plays there where the physical tools just pop off the screen. He gives up a couple things in that game. But for me, it was the, it was the tools and the traits that were just, wow, they pop. And then you turn the tape on against Miami. I mean, if you haven't watched that game yet, if you're, if you're interested in learning about this guy, two interceptions, both of them came in the end zone. He was unbelievable in this game. Just, just terrific. He had another uh, a, a PBU a little later. That was almost his third interception of the game. Like just, just an incredible player. You watch him in coverage and you talked about the, the quarterback history, the, the wide receiver history. One of the best parts about him is he doesn't look like a guy that's new to the position, right? And you kind of slightly touched on it there, but that's the crazy thing about him. He looks like he's been playing it his whole life. His footwork is unbelievable. He's dynamic. He's smart. Like you said, he plays with great instincts. It doesn't feel like the game and the position is happening too quickly for him, right? It feels like he's a natural and he knows exactly what he's doing and he's only going to get better. And he's a tremendous talent. He plays with great awareness. The size is off the charts, uh, you know, Virginia Tech had him listed at 6'2", 197. Um, you know, I don't know how quite accurate that is, but it's obvious on tape. You can tell he's got great size and he plays like it, right? He gives receivers fits at the line of scrimmage. He's got great man coverage skills. He's tough. He's physical. He wants to get his hands on him. He wants to disrupt the route. He's excellent at the catch point, right? This is just, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to corner prospects, like you said, he's elite. He's a near perfect prospect when it comes to the tape. I really like the guy. I think he's only going to get better. I think if he's healthy, he's going to be an elite NFL cornerback. And, and for me, if he's there at 22 and you're relatively comfortable with the medicals, uh, you're, you're, you know, you, you feel good about the back and you feel good about the injuries, then I don't even think you, th- you think twice. I think you make the pick and it's, it's Caleb Farley. Yeah. I mean, you said it, you said it all. I hate to just keep gushing about this guy, but one of my favorite parts watching him, not only is he good in man, he's also good in zone. Virginia tech mixed up their coverages a lot. They asked him to play that kind of cover three deep third role. They asked him to play underneath. He's got pretty complex rules. I noticed swapping, um, when receivers cross at the line of scrimmage, when they're lined up on the same side, him and his slot cornerback or, or a safety there have to communicate on whether or not the inside receiver goes over or under to changes what, whether, Farley stays inside or goes outside. So lots of complex rules. He was picking them up early in 2018 and changing up his jams at the line of scrimmage, sometimes hitting them with two hands, sometimes throwing one hand. Like I was just so impressed at how quickly he picked up position. So like you said, yes, he's only going to keep getting better. I'm curious, just your own personal things. Obviously we don't get to see any medical reports, but from the rumors and everything we've heard, who is a scarier medical uh, evaluation right now? Caleb Farley or Jalen Phillips? Jalen Phillips, obviously, with concussion history, also broke his wrist, I think, on like a, a bike or a motorcycle or something like that. Um, so what I'm are you always going to worry more about the concussions personally. 
Thank you. So I would think Phillips would be the one. Again, we don't have access to him. Maybe Phillips Medicals look great and Farley's look terrible. You know, we don't know. But I'd always worry more about the concussions. He had to retire, right? He had to medically retire because of that. Yeah. So where, where that hasn't happened with Farley, right? Nowhere near. So for right. me, I mean, that's without having all the information, um, I would think Phillips is is the quote-unquote the easy answer there. Yeah. The only thing that concerns me about Farley is you're talking about a torn ACL and two back surgeries over the span of a three-year college career. So that's right. But the ACLs nowadays, I mean, agreed. Yeah, it's nothing. And and he came back after it and was running 24 miles per hour on the field. So obviously didn't lose a step from that. And looked incredible in 2019 when he came back from it. So the the back is significantly more concerning to me than the ACL. Agreed. Oh, for sure. The ACL happened four years ago, almost right, three four years ago. Yeah, just some guys are. They just gave Bud Dupree 85 million dollars. You're right. Four minutes after he tore his ACL. You're right. Yeah, the Titans obviously aren't too concerned. The only thing is, some guys I feel like are so twitchy and so fast that their bodies just can't handle. And I think John Ross is an example. But that guy tore two ACLs in college and then came into the NFL and was always hurt. Uh, I don't even know where John Ross is now. Is he still in Cincinnati? It doesn't. I think he's still. No, this. He was a free agent this year. Wouldn't he have been? Yeah. Is he, has he even signed? He might not have been signed he yet. He has, I want to say. We're, I remember reading about <laughs> it. I'm going to look it up. He signed with the Giants. Oh, that's right. That's right. I knew that. Another Dave yeah. Gettleman move. Yeah, totally. But anyway, yeah. So that's my point is like, I'm not super concerned, but some sometimes there's a little bit of concern. But regardless, Caleb Farley for me, if he's on the board at 22, is the pick. And that's why he's not top, he's at the top of our list. So we spent a long time on that one. Let's try to move a little faster here as we get into number two. And I don't know if this is in order. This isn't really in order, is it? Because yeah. <laughs> number two, we have <laughs> offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State. I, I don't know that. No, you're right. Not that that this is in order, but and Titans fans don't want to hear it. They don't want a right tackle here. And, and we've talked about that on recent episodes, but. I don't know that, you know, right tackle isn't a need, right? They don't have much there. They've got Kendall Lamb and Tyson Braylow. Certainly don't have anything that's proven. So you, you have to come to terms with the fact that they could go in this direction. And, and I've talked about Jenkins on this show multiple times. He's tough. He's nasty. He's aggressive. He played right tackle at Oklahoma State, which I think they'll like because they obviously do not need a left tackle. And I don't think the Titans are big on getting guys to switch sides Right. They, they, they've never done it. The last time they drafted a guy there, Jack Conklin was a right tackle. Isaiah Wilson was a right tackle. They seem to like drafting right tackles to play right tackle. Right. And Tevin Jenkins is a right tackle. So I think he's a guy that can make some sense. They've met with him virtually multiple times as I've been able, I've been able to confirm uh, personally myself. So it's obvious they like him. I think it's obvious that he's an option uh, for them and he belongs on this list. It'd be silly for us not to put him on this list. Uh, he's a good a good player and a good fit for what they do. And if they decide to go in that direction to take a tackle, I'm not going to say that I absolutely love it, but I'd absolutely understand it because I am very concerned about the state of the position there right as things stand. I like Dennis Kelly. They moved on for whatever reason. Kendall Lamb is largely an unknown to me right now. Yeah, you can put some of the tape on. Hasn't started a whole lot of football games recently. So that's a bit of a projection, in my opinion. Yeah, he was on the Browns last year. They played against him. He caught a touchdown as an extra lineman, right? He's not a guy that was out there uh, as a starter. So don't know a lot about him. Tyson Braylow, we've seen. You can kind of get by with him. He's also going to kill a couple drives, right? Let's be honest with penalties and and pass pro not being up to 
to a to a to a super high standard, so to speak. So don't know what they have there. If they do go in this direction, then I'd understand it, especially given um, the current state of the position. I just want to say about the tackle position. I know a lot of Titans fans are simultaneously extremely like worried that this will happen and extremely upset. Like they're already upset that this might happen. I just think the Titans are not looking at offensive tackle. They're looking at Tevin Jenkins and there's a difference. Like if Tevin Jenkins goes 21 to the Colts or any time before that, I really don't think you're looking at the Titans just taking the next best offensive tackle. They're not going to just take Sam Cosme or, or whoever Christian Derrissaw, whoever falls. They're not just going to take these guys because they're offensive tackles. I think Tevin Jenkins is a guy who fits the mold of what the Titans have consistently, at least John Robinson, consistently looked at in a right tackle. Even Dennis Kelly, I think, fits this profile. Someone who's a little bit better in run blocking than pass blocking, and somebody who's a road grader, somebody who gets after it in the run game and tries to move bodies, who's also athletic. So it's not just any tackle. It's like the Titans really like Tevin Jenkins. So I do think that that's an important distinction, and I think it's Important to recognize that that's how John Robinson operates as a drafter anyway. He's, he doesn't lock into positions. He locks into players, which I think is a hundred times the right way to do it better than locking into certain positions. I think so too. And, and it's kind of unfortunate that Isaiah Wilson has made the Titans fan base feel this way because, you know, talking to Mike Herndon the other day, uh, you know, just, just through text message. And, 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 and we agreed that Isaiah Wilson, you know, they, they could have drafted a drunk linebacker right they could have drafted a a corner that had a piss poor attitude well this is based on what the outkick 360 formerly midday 180 guys were saying how they were worried about the titans ability to evaluate this position because of isaiah wilson which just doesn't that doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense because he could have played any position and had the attitude issues that he has right it's not like they don't you know they they didn't drop the ball on him anymore because he's a right tackle than if he was a tight end Right, it doesn't make any sense. They dropped the ball on the person. They didn't drop the ball in the position. So, right, that's where that's where that's wrong. And it's unfortunate that Titans fan base feels that way about right tackle and don't want to draft another one. Yada yada. The need didn't go away. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and I'm being honest, and and then my honest as as someone who covers the team and someone who likes the team, I, I probably personally wouldn't go right tackle at 22. I'm not saying that I would but I would absolutely understand if they do so. And, and Tevin Jenkins is a good football player. The way I feel is I'm, I'm okay with right tackle at 22 if it's Tevin Jenkins, because I just think he's the guy that fits the team. I don't think right. I'm like, I'm not just okay with right tackle at 22 because I recognize right tackles a need. I'm okay with this guy. I think right. that's, that's how that's the a good way to look at it. He's a first round player. Yeah, exactly. And if you get a first round player in the first round, what more can you ask for? Honestly, like half these guys are going to be busts anyway. Like, half these guys on the list we're talking about are going to be busts, you know, like there's no guarantee on any guy that you fall in love with ever being good. So it's always important to keep the perspective, right? Let's talk about number three on the list. We've already talked about him a little bit. Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman. Yeah, we've touched on him a lot uh, on this show over the last several weeks. So I'll keep it short, but Big fan of the player. Think he fits the offense well. Think he gives you some of what you lost in Corey Davis. He's a good route runner. He's excellent after the catch. A guy that I think makes sense, fits the profile of the offense, fits what John Robinson has looked for in receivers, in my opinion. Uh, would, would be thrilled if he's the pick at 22. And I think 
Titans fan base, our listeners will agree with that because on, on Twitter, I keep getting questions about Rashad Bateman. So I know this fan base loves him. I know they're high on him and I get it. I'm high on him as well. I see a first round player. I've always said that I don't think the league for whatever reason is quite as high on him as they are on some other players. And you'll remember, uh, you know, Justin, I don't think I've said it on the show but I've DM'd multiple times with, with you and chats that we're in and, and, and people jumped on me for saying, I don't think it's a lock that he's a first round pick. That's just kind of how I look at the receiver position. Uh, I think he's a first round talent, but I don't think it's a lock that he goes in the top 32 picks. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next weekend, but I do really like the player and I think he'd be a great fit in Tennessee. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had a lot of guys that were thought to be first to second round players or even just first round players. Obviously, this year's way different with the top three that exists, but beyond that top three, those DK guys Metcalf. obviously, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. I mean, Hollywood Brown and DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and Nikhil Harry Shore and JJ Arthega Whiteside Shore, they these guys were all talked about as like potential first rounders that year. And it ended up Hollywood Brown and Nikhil Harry were the only guys that went in the first round. Now, like if there was a Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith at the top, then there could have been five guys going that round, but Regardless, I mean, DK Metcalf could have been like Jalen Waddle, right? I mean, close to it, obviously. I thought he was going to go early. Yeah, I thought he was going to. DK Metcalf was my number one receiver that year, and I'm proud to admit that, even though I think AJ Brown is a better NFL pro right now. I I do think DK is definitely the second best receiver from that class. And Hollywood Brown, and I mean, Arthega Whiteside's terrible, and Nikhil Harry's terrible, right? So. Hollywood Brown is a, is a guy people talk about with Devontae Smith because of the weight concerns being below 170, but they're totally I different think they're players. So different. Yeah. It's not even a fair comparison on any level. So anyway, I'm totally rambling here. But yeah, Rashad Bateman, his his line uh, for per betonline.ag, whatever if whatever sports book you follow, I don't know. His uh, over under spot to be selected in the 2020 NFL draft, Rashad Bateman is 26.5. So Based on Vegas lines, he is expected to be there at 22. I've seen some talk about him going earlier than that and everything you just mentioned about how he could possibly fall. I think it was um, Albert Breer who said that Bateman's not really falling as much as the speedy slot guys are rising. And I think he's talking about Elijah Moore and Kadarius Toney and maybe even Rondale Moore who are a bit smaller. Obviously, Toney's the biggest of the group at 5'11". Those other guys, 5'9", five, 5'7", five, Rondale Moore, right? So these small, speedy guys, he he referenced Tyreek Hill. I think it's just kind of crazy because, like, there's only one Tyreek Hill, and there's tons of small, speedy guys in the NFL, and there's still only one Tyreek Hill. So I think teams are being a little reactionary if this rumor is true because, to me, Bateman is the clear wide receiver four in this class. Yeah, he's the clear receiver four for me as well, but... Uh, and 26, that's, you know, with the betting line and they know what they're doing, right? Those people aren't, aren't in the business of losing money. So it, it looks like he's on the cusp though, right? That it's, it's certainly possible that he, that he slips and slides into round two, but I really like him. I, I I'll say this. I fully expect him to be on the board when the Titans come on the clock at 22. And then I think there's a good chance that maybe a lot of Titans fans are going to be disappointed because I, I feel like he's the one that <laughs> Titans fans want more than anyone. And, I think it would be a good pick, but um, if I had to make a prediction today, uh, f- for whatever reason, I, I would say that he's not going to be the pick. So here is the boldest prediction I will make this entire draft season. How many years in a row have Titans fans been like, I really like this guy and I really like that guy. I wish we could get both. And then the, uh, they're both like first round talents heading into the draft. And then somehow 
one way or another, John Robinson drafts both guys, uh, one in the first round and one in the second round. And you're like, how the heck did that happen? How the heck did Christian Fulton fall that far? I think you have a potential scenario this year where you draft Caleb Farley in the round one, and then Rashad Bateman starts sliding down the board in round two, and the Titans trade up and get Rashad Bateman in round two and end up with the two guys that I want the Titans to draft more than anyone else in this class. That, that would be a home run. That would be an A-plus draft. That would be terrific. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not impossible, right? It would be interesting to see how far they'd have to come up because if he does make it into day two, you'd like to think that he's going to go relatively early. But then again, look what happened to Fulton, right? There's runs on positions. I think you're going to see a lot of offensive linemen in the 30s. Whether that's round one, round two, I think you're going to get Dallin Raddins in there. I think you're going to get Wyatt Davis in there. You get Landon Dickerson in there. You get Spencer Brown in there, Alex Leatherwood. There's so, Sam Cosme. Right? I think there's going to be a lot of linemen. Uh, Creed Humphrey, if he doesn't go in round one. There's going to be a lot of linemen that go early round two. So if that starts to happen, then it starts becoming more realistic. And I and also we'll think that's... Happens. I also think that's the range you're going to see the run on edge rushers. The Aziz Ojulari's, Gregory Rousseau's, all those guys are going to go. Yeah, in you that could same... see Boogie Basham in that yep. range too. So uh, you could see a couple of guys that we're going to talk about still. So maybe I won't say their names yet and I'll leave a little mm-hmm. speculation. But there are a couple more guys there on, on the D line and at edge that can, that can slip into that range. So it's, it's also... not impossible that Bateman starts to mm-hmm. slide. And I also think you get four inside linebackers in the top 40-ish, which just pushes another couple of players down the board. Yeah, that, you should the, get a couple. Yeah, I mean, two probably in the first round for sure, right? And then right. I guess you're talking about a guy like Nick Bolton could go. Zaven Collins, Je, uh, Jeremiah Wusakormoa, Micah Parsons, Jamin Davis. I forgot and, about Parsons. Excuse me. I mean, those, three of them are going to be first-round picks. Excuse me, Parsons. Yeah. Collins and, and Koromoa, I think, are going to be first-round picks. But you're right. Then you get into Jamin Davis. And we didn't even talk about um, – you, you didn't mention the guy that I did there in, in, in Nick Bolton. Nick Bolton, yeah. So He's another guy that I think goes in the 35 to 50 range. So a couple linebackers there. And, and don't forget Jabril Cox uh, from North Dakota State's a guy that I think could go a little earlier. Baron Browning from Ohio State. I know some people see him maybe moving to the edge. But there are going to be some guys right, that are going to go in that range. and be interesting to see what happens if there are receivers like Bateman still available. And I'm not saying he's got to fall to 53, but if he's there at 45, you know, right. what would that cost? Right. I'd yeah, play the not, fourth round it's not pick impossible. It is not right. impossible. It's not impossible. All right, let's talk about number four on the list. Briefly mentioned again already, linebacker from Tulsa, Zaven Collins. Not that either of us would necessarily love this pick, but it has to be on the list of realistic options because – we talked last week about the future need, the impending need at inside linebacker. And also we talked last week about how John Robinson worked extensively with Zayvon Collins at Tulsa's Pro Day. How many guys does he work hands-on with? I think there's a real chance Zayvon Collins, if he makes it to 22, could be the pick. Yeah, we know they've met with him a couple times virtually. Um, and he just bulked up to 270, which I found really interesting. Interesting choice. If if teams don't see him on the edge, I thought that was you know, 270, it's, he, he's weighing in at a heavy weight right now, uh, as Avon calls. He obviously did it on purpose, right? There's, there's no accidents this time of year when it comes to adding, putting on weight. Uh, that, that, that's done, uh, you know, on purpose. So um, he's got to be on this list. I know Titans fans, a lot of Titans fans probably don't want to hear it as well. I've, I mean, I've seen I think they're some, pretty some, split. I think they're pretty yeah, split. So I, I, say, I have seen do. some mixed results on Twitter. I see people yeah. that love him on Titans Twitter. I see people that don't. I really like him as a player. I think he's a first-round talent. I've got him in the top 32 on my big board. 
versatile guy does a lot of things for you. One of my favorite interviews this cycle, you know, I probably mentioned it on this show, but such a good story and you don't see it a lot, you know, born in Hominy, Oklahoma, tiny population goes to a local high school is barely recruited. Tulsa was his only D one offer uh, and not, not the D one offer that you're typically after, right? Let's be honest. And, but he goes there and he blows it up and he wins defensive play, you know, the Bronco Nagurski this past year. And, 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 and he's a first round player and I really like him. And uh, if, again, if he's the pick, I'd question it maybe from a value perspective or sort of not a value perspective, so to speak, but uh, an, an allocation of resources perspective, right? Cause you've got, you brought back Jayon Brown, you've got Rashawn Evans, you've got David Long. So I'd ask a couple of questions there about what your plan is for him and maybe what your plan is for the other players on the roster, but I do like him. He's a really good football player and uh, I, I, he's going to go in the first round that I'm confident in saying. Yeah. I think it's important to point out this is a big guy. This is an old school NFL linebacker. He's drawn a lot of comparisons to Anthony Barr. I kind of think a little bit uh Dante Hightower, just the the way he's the kind of a big downhill guy who he could play well, on though. the edge. He is athletic for sure. I think he ran like a four six forty. So for his size, two seventy, I mean that's super impressive for his size. And I think he's a guy that if the Titans picked him specifically, you might see him used a lot of different ways. You might see him at three tech on pass rush downs. You might see him coming off the edge. You definitely see him on special teams. So obviously you're not drafting a special teams player in round one, but you, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a possibility. If you're a Titans fan who doesn't want a linebacker round one, like me, it's a possibility you have to acknowledge. Yeah. And I think like you said there earlier, I'm going to go back to it quickly. I don't think the Titans are looking at linebacker as much as they're looking at Zayvon Collins. Right. Right. Exactly what you said about Tevin Jenkins and, and right tackle. So, and I get it. He's a good player. He's a good prospect. He's got a great story. He's a great young man. I, I spent like two hours on the phone with him just a couple of weeks ago. He's terrific. So it's easy to like him. I like him and uh, very, very excited to see what happens with him. All right. Let's go down to number five on the list. This is uh, a, another cornerback, one that. I mean, I like Caleb Farley. I like the idea of Caleb Farley. I don't know if he falls to 22 because he is so talented. But this guy, Greg Newsom, the second out of Northwestern, I think has a lot better chance to be on the board at 22. And uh, I know we both like him as a player. He's a little bit smaller, a little bit injury prone, but a good player. Yeah, a really good player. A really good player. And, and you know, not to go back to my interviews, but one of my favorite ones that I've done uh, this past year, just a terrific guy, really smart, really confident in his ability, about as confident as a guy that you'll you'll speak with. And I love that. I love it at the corner position, especially. I think they got to have some of that swagger, right? That that mentality, you're going up against receivers, you got to have confidence in yourself. Uh, really like him, great player, great man coverage guy, excellent ball skills. I mean, the PBU numbers have been terrific in the small sample size. Uh, I think the question there, again, as you mentioned, is injuries, but worth noting that and I talked with him about this when I spoke with him. They've all been little nagging things, you know, that maybe if it was at the NFL, maybe he would have played through them, you know, truthfully. If there's a big game coming up and, and maybe he could have played a bit more because they, they were little things. Right? He, he didn't have a torn ACL. He didn't have a serious back injury. He didn't have this or that. So uh, a guy where it's the, it's the nagging things that have got him, right, that have kept him out here and there. So really like him. I think he's a first-round talent. Even though the sample size is small, I love what he brings to the table. And uh, he, he should absolutely be an option at, at 22nd. Yeah, I agree. I, the only thing that worries me is just the, the smaller injuries. I know like sometimes you don't get concerned about them because they don't 
last into his NFL career, but it's also possible he's the type of guy who just doesn't like to play through the little things. And that's, I mean, right or wrong, that's not the way Mike Vrabel likes his players to play. So I do think the the Titans have virtually met with him. So there's definitely interest. And they have, you, yeah, I was able to confirm that they have virtually met with Newsom. So he's obviously someone that uh, they're they're at least paying attention to. Yeah, and I think John Robinson obviously will like the ball production, not the interceptions, but the pass deflections. So he's definitely in play. The Titans need a cornerback. Again, I don't know. I mean, I love Caleb Farley because I think he's an elite talent, and I think he's a clear tier above Newsom. So we were just talking again about the idea of liking the player, not the position. So in this case, I do feel like we threw Greg Newsom on this list because of position and not necessarily because of player. And it's going to, I think the rest of the list is going to start to get kind of like that. But I do think that, you know, if the Titans decided to go corner here and Caleb Farley was off the board, Newsom is an option more so than I think that, that like Newsom is a really great fit for the Titans. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. Cause I think he's a first round player, right? When you look at that tier two corners, if you're tier one, is uh, Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertain, and J.C. Horn. I think Newsom's got to be right at the top of Tier 2. So once you, once those three corners are gone, uh, you get into Newsom, you get into Asante Samuel, you get into um, Asante Samuel Jr., of course, that is. You get into Eric Stokes from Georgia, Tyson Campbell maybe, Elijah Molden. I think Newsom's the best one of that bunch. And my right. big board reflects that, right? He's my he's my top corner in that in that second tier. So... Uh, that's why I think he's got to be an option. I think those first three guys are certainly not going to be there. I mean, Farley could, excuse me, you know, given the injury, but Sertain's not going to be there. Horn is certainly not going to be there. If Farley goes earlier than 22, then I think Newsom becomes the next best choice at corner. Right, and and honestly, there's there's a chance he doesn't even make it to 22, especially if teams are worried about Farley and looking at corners. You know, there's a lot of right. cornerbacks. could be the third teams. corner off the board if, if yeah. Farley's injury is a concern. He, that happens a lot to me in mock drafts is he doesn't even make it to 22. So, all right, let's move on to number six, wide receiver Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss, who, you know, there is no reported connection between the Titans and Elijah Moore, but that doesn't mean they haven't met with him. I think he's been keeping his meetings closer to the vest. And this is just a position of need for the Titans. Is this a little early? Would 22 be a little early for Elijah Moore? Maybe so, but there's a lot of rumors lately. I, I mentioned this earlier about Rashad Bateman falling that guys like Elijah Moore and Kadarius Toney are apparently really well-liked in NFL amongst NFL teams. Now, this is lying season, so who really knows? But the Titans really like Elijah Moore. He's not going to be there at 53, I don't think, based on all everything we're hearing lately. So... I would say if they want him and they don't find a trade back partner and they've just identified this guy as a guy they really like to come in and play the slot wide receiver position and possibly bump outside also a la a Brandon Cooks type of player, I think that they would draft him. Yeah, it's just tough for me because again, I feel like this is one of the most popular prospects on Titans Twitter, right? I get I talked about Bateman. I also get a lot of questions about Elijah Moore. And I don't want to sound like I'm I don't like him and I I hate that. I, I feel like Titans fans are doing this to me a little bit. And I, cause I love the player. I, I love him. I mean, from the first time I put the tape on, I was just 
just infatuated with with what he brings to the table. Terrific, electric, just so dangerous with the ball in his hands. Uh, a dynamic, electric playmaker was the first thing I wrote about him when I started scouting him several months ago. You know, you watch him, what he did against Alabama in 2020. I thought he was pretty good. Obviously, that's a, a, a tough game being Alabama. But you watch what he did against Florida. I mean, he was um, probably the best tape I watched from him was what he did against Florida. Just a massive game. They had no answer for him. And what I liked about it there is, you know, the Alabama game, for example, there's a lot of gadget stuff they did with him in that game. When you turn on Florida, I think he did a really good job showcasing his ability to win downfield, right? It wasn't just all design stuff. It wasn't swing passes and screens and, and like a lot of the Alabama stuff was. With the Florida game, he really showed, you know, how good of a traditional receiver he is as well. He's not just a gadget guy. Huge fan of the player, I I don't know about taking a slot receiver at 22. I think that's where I start to worry or start to question it, so to speak. And I know a lot of people say they think he can play outside. I, I don't know for sure that he can. Right. And that's kind of my question. I, I feel way I'm 100 percent confident that he can play and, and live in the slots. I'm not as confident that he could play outside. So I'm pretty I'm pretty confident he can. And I can explain why. So first of all, at five foot nine, he's definitely on the smaller side for wide receivers. But I think it's worth pointing out he did not miss a single game in his Ole Miss career until he elected to opt out of the final bowl game just to start preparing for the NFL draft. That was the only game he missed. So no injuries in his entire college career. His production is off the charts. Now he only played eight games last year because of COVID and and opting out of the final game. So, but in eight games he set a school record for receptions with 86 catches for 1,193 yards and eight touchdowns. Again, in eight games, he led the country in receiving yards per game, 149 yards per game, and catches per game, 10.8. His 1,193 receiving yards were the most ever by any SEC player through the first eight games of a season, and that receiving yardage was only 127 yards shy of breaking the the single-season record set by A.J. Brown in 12 games, so only 127 yards fewer than A.J. Brown in four fewer games. I love I mean, that you would – sorry, you'll go on. Yeah, I mean, I have more. I just – this the, the relation – speaking of A.J. Brown, the relationship between Elijah Moore and A.J. Brown I think is super awesome and something that would be so cool to continue nurturing in Nashville. Watch these two guys continue to grow together. If you haven't read it, John Glennon wrote a great piece back in October for Broadway Sports about how A.J. Brown – he basically was asking A.J. Brown, which receivers do you watch? And it led to this story where A.J. Brown said, actually, one of the guys I watch the most is still in college. His name's Elijah Moore. And uh, talking about how these two guys were roommates, worked out together all the time, worked on releases together all the time, which is why I'm confident Elijah Moore will be fine on the outside playing against press coverage against bigger cornerbacks because A, he's super quick to get off the line, and B, A.J. Brown, who played mostly in the slot at Ole Miss, Obviously, we got to see four games of A.J. Brown, his final four games at, at Ole Miss. He played outside after D.K. Metcalf's injury, but, you know, and he was very productive there. And, I mean, yes, we haven't seen that from Elijah Moore, but the fact that those two guys work out together so much and play together so much and that A.J. Brown feels like he's learning from Elijah Moore on, on releases and things like that, which is how you beat press coverage off the line of scrimmage, just makes me confident that it's not a problem for him. I just think he's an uber-talented receiver. When you, when you catch 86 passes in eight games it just 
shows how important you are to your offense and how the quarterback is always looking at you. And there's a thing that that dynasty fantasy football players use called dominator rating, which basically is just talking about the per- the percentage of team production that one player is you know responsible for. And the fact that he's responsible for so much of his team's production just makes me so confident that he's going to be a great player at the next level. And I do think 22 is a little early for a slot receiver, but I think it'd be worth it at the end of the day because you get a, it's all about getting great players wherever you can get them. See, I, we don't argue enough on this show, and I, I actually <laughs> like when no, I, mean, I like when we disagree, right? Because yeah. I feel like it, it, you know it gives the listener something different. And I think, and and I'm not critiquing what you said, but a lot of the things you, you said there for me personally, it doesn't do enough to tell me that he could play outside. Yeah. He caught a bunch of balls. He didn't catch him outside. He hasn't been hurt, but I'm not worried that he's going to get hurt playing outside. He can get hurt playing in the slot, right? That, that to me, it's more, he's, can he get off press cup, these bigger physical corners, this press coverage on the boundary. That's my, I'm not concerned. He's going to get hurt. You know? So to me, him not missing a game doesn't do anything to tell me personally that he can play outside. Oh, it's great. He's been healthy, but he can get hurt anywhere outside in the slot. That, that doesn't tell me anything personally. So I, I, I have my concerns. I love the player. I agree with everything you're saying about the releases and he's electric and explosive, but I, I, for me, he's still probably going to be a slot receiver. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things where a team would have to, it would be a lot easier in a year where a team could work a guy out and really see him and put him through drills and put him through paces, but it's not something we're going to get to have this year, so that could hurt a player like Elijah Moore. I love him. I love him. I love I just, him too. I, He's one of my I don't favorite. know about 22. Yeah. He's one of my three favorite players in the draft behind Farley and Bateman. Um, all right, let's talk about the next guy on our list, number seven, another wide receiver, this guy out of LSU, Terrace Marshall thoughts. And they couldn't be more different, right? From yeah. one to the other. I mean, Marshall, here's totally, a guy that, that totally. was born to play on the outside, right? Terrific size and 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 he's so strong and physical. You're not going to question his ability to get off press coverage on the boundary because he, he makes it look easy. And the ball skills are outstanding. The catch radius is huge. He goes up and gets it. He his hands, he plucks the ball away from his body. He's smooth. He extends his body. Uh, he's tough. Uh, he's physical. Again, he's aggressive. Big, big fan of the player. Um, it, you know, we talked about Elijah Moore again. Con talk about getting off contact. Well, it doesn't bother Terrace Marshall. Contact doesn't bother him. It just doesn't. So big guy, terrific size. Played a couple games in 2020, which I enjoyed. You watch what he did against Mississippi State. They had no answer for him, uh, and he could have had a bigger game. He had two drops in that game, according to my count. Uh, and he, he could have been better, but he had a couple. You know, he had a touchdown there. Uh, he was terrific in that game. You watch what he did against Clemson in, in 2019. It's another game that I scouted. Um, not a lot there, and, and but but there is one touchdown catch in that game that is unbelievable, right? It's just, I mean, it, it's one of my favorite plays I've watched from any player throughout this entire cycle. And if you remember that LSU Clemson game, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a ridiculous touchdown catch. It's I, I in my notes I wrote that's an alpha male touchdown catch, right? It's just an <laughs> alpha dog going up and getting the ball and 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 refusing to not catch the ball. So, uh, interesting guy. Again, don't know that he's a first round pick. For sure, I think that's. I'd have some questions there. I don't know that he's in that tier one. I don't know that he's um, quite, you know, a guy that you would take at twenty-two. Well, that's tough because I, I do think he's probably a guy that you take at thirty-five, for example, right. or at thirty-four. With that said, you know, are are you able to trade back and get a guy like him? Do you just say, screw it, he's my guy, and I'm taking him at twenty-two? Um, but really good player, a guy that was born to play on the outside. So if that's the kind of guy they're looking for. 
uh, you're probably not going to find one better in this range than Terrace Marshall. Yeah, I think if you're talking about specifically looking for a Corey Davis replacement, Terrace Marshall is a great candidate to be that guy. He's a touchdown machine. So someone who could also try to help replace Jonu Smith's red zone production. He had 10 touchdowns in seven games in 2020, and he had 13 touchdowns in 2019 playing alongside Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Now, his, his total yardage production isn't great it's pretty great in 2020 i mean he had 731 yards again in just seven games so you have to take into account he only played seven games 48 catches for 731 yards that's over 100 yards per game in 2019 he only had 671 yards total but again playing alongside jamar chase and justin jefferson that year two of you know justin jefferson was a rookie of the year candidate had what 1400 plus receiving yards for minnesota last year and jamar chase is going to be possibly a top six or higher pick in this year's draft as one of the considered elite wide receiver prospects of all time. So is Terrace Marshall not as good as those guys? And that makes you a little concerned. I mean, maybe, but I think it would be so cool if a LSU wide receiver was drafted at number 22 overall in back-to-back years. So the Titans should make that happen. That would be something. That would be something, but he is a good prospect. And I'm actually getting a chance to interview him this Monday. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to pick his brain. I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk with him about. And uh, hope maybe we'll find out if he's now with the Titans. Maybe, maybe I'll get some news there. That'd be cool. All right, number eight on our list. I mentioned these rumors earlier that Matt Miller brought up. The Titans are looking at defensive tackles. And Dane Brugler mocked Christian Barmore, defensive tackle Alabama, to the Titans at number 22 overall in his latest mock draft. And that is the number eight player on our list here thoughts yeah i mean this is not a very good defensive tackle class barmore is is very obviously the cream of the crop wait i think you're being nice Uh, the scouts the quotes from scouts around the league is this is the weakest defensive tackle class i've ever seen (laughs) i i am being nice and i'm I'm canadian right i can't help it it's in me look (laughs) there are a couple of day two guys that i like i stopped short of calling it you know Super weak because even though you know it does lack top end talent, I like J2 Filet out of USC. I like uh, Tyler Shelvin out of LSU. He's probably he's a nose tackle. He's a massive man, but I do like him. I do like Alan McNeil out of NC State. Tommy Tagai out of Ohio State. There are guys that I Davion Nixon from Iowa. There are guys that I like, right? So there are some interesting guys, but it's certainly not a strong class. Barmore is very easily the cream of the crop. And, and I think it goes to show you how, how, how weak of a class it is that he's number one because he's not, you know, he's not even Jeffrey Simmons, right? He's not a dominant defensive tackle prospect. But here's a guy who is intriguing. And, and, and why? Because the name of the draft, and I think fans don't always, you know, give enough credit to this, is teams are looking for players that are getting better, obviously, right? and that are going to continue to get better. And I can see why Barmore is very intriguing when it comes to that topic. He's probably one of the most intriguing guys because, you know, he's a player who in 2019, he started flashing towards the end of this. No one knew him right until the second half of 2019. He started flashing there comes in in 2020 first couple of games. Didn't really get off on the right foot. He was nursing an injury. Didn't wasn't able to build initially on how he ended 2019, but then he just kept getting better and better. If you watch him throughout the year, Watch what he did against Ole Miss. You know, he's not bad. You can really, my, my notes there, I remember just writing down raw athleticism because that was the mm-hmm. most evident thing was he didn't make a ton of plays in that game. He didn't jump off the, the screen. He made a couple plays, but it was, it was the, it was, you know, the upside that was very evident. Okay. You keep going. 
Watch, you know, go back to 2019 even. I mean, you're, you're Hook'em, right? You're a Texas guy. Watch what he did against Texas. I thought he was really good against Texas in 2019. He's got an early sack that's just terrific. There's one play, I think it's still in the first quarter, I've got here written down on my notes. It looks like the entire O-line was blocking him. He got three, four guys <laughs> that, that went out on him because, you know, he's the one that's commanding all the attention. So he bats down a pass in that Texas game. He had a really good game. But you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't the, the number one game for him. He left the best for last. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, you, you've watched it. Everyone's watched it. Ohio State, yeah, his last national, game in Alabama. He was unbelievable. Sorry? The national championship. Yeah, he was unbelievable in that game. I think he say, he really did save the best for last. I mean, what better do you want than to be a guy that's known as an ascending talent that shined on the biggest stage imaginable in your last game? I remember watching that game live saying, Christian Barmore is making money. He is literally making money right now in his last game. And here we are, right? Several months later, he's going to be the first defensive tackle off the board. I think I could confidently say that. Be absolutely shocking, I think, if he isn't. Uh, an ascending guy. Look, he's still putting it all together. But, man, he's exciting. You know, he's, he's exciting. And, and and let me – and I, I've praised him. Now, let me, again, not to play devil's advocate against myself, but I think you're going to agree. I don't love the idea of D-tackle. At 22, I think there I are better it. ways. I hate it. Makes you me hate sick. it, right? I think there are much better <laughs> ways the Titans could spend their picks. I, I don't know how much, how many wins does it add, right? right? When you've already just spent the pick recently on Jeffrey Simmons and 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 so on. You signed Dina Kowatra. How many wins does Christian Barmore add? I don't know. And he's still a little raw, right? But that's that's what excites you about it, right? It's the exciting you put all, all these things in a blender and you're start you're trying to find the perfect recipe, right? But Barmore has all the baseline traits and and he's very exciting. And I do think he's gonna go in the first round. Yeah, again, just not super <laughs> enthused with the idea of a defensive tackle. And I'll throw a name at I'll throw a name at you that that this arc slightly reminds me of. And it's a name that will haunt Titans fans forever. Kevin Dodd. I don't know that it's I don't now, know the difference that it's is, quite that. Barmore's only 21 years old. Kevin Dodd was 23 years old. I think that is a pretty significant difference. But, you know, just like really exploding in your in your last season and then having a huge championship game. Right. Dodd had like three a, sacks, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, in the championship for Clemson. So, you know, against Alabama, I think. So yeah, I think Barmore is an interesting guy. There's there's some like rumors about him not being the hardest worker or not not practicing hard or something like that, and which is interesting and something you have to think about after you just drafted Isaiah Wilson and and really what you can learn about a player who may or may not have that concern, you know, in this COVID affected scouting period where you can't bring guys to the building still. So. That's something I think you have to consider when you're talking about taking your a guy at 22 overall, but we have heard that the Titans are really interested in defensive tackle. You know what? We also heard in 2018 or uh, 2017, I can't remember now, 2018, I think, that they were, no, 2017, sorry, that they were really interested in O.J. Howard at number five overall, and that if he if they couldn't trade back, they were taking him. That was a rumor that was swirling around. So keep in mind, you know, the Titans could be putting out lies or somebody could have a real source so we don't people know people said they t- liked mike williams better than Corey davis that's right like the, the day before right. the draft i think and they could out. have taken williams right yeah obviously yeah they had the option and they didn't so you never really can know what to believe it's interesting because matt miller's been spot on back-to-back years but in this business we don't know if that's luck 
if that's real, if he has a real source or what. So, I mean, I tend to believe he knows something after two years in a row, but who who really knows? That person could be using him now after putting out correct information two years in a row, so who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be thrilled. I, I would get excited, you know, at the end of the day, but I wouldn't be super thrilled, especially if they're passing on a guy that we've already talked about on this list. Any guy on this list... I mean, Elijah Moore seems like a, more, a way more likely option to pass on because of just where they, they might be valued as a slot receiver. But, like, if they pass on Bateman for, for Christian Barmore, I'm not going to be very happy about that. <laughs> I think a lot of Titans fans would join you, right? And, again, I, I, I would question, again, the, the allocation of resources to go D-tackle here at 22 when you've got the other holes that, I mean, I, I don't know that I'd put D tackle in their top five needs truthfully. So Agreed. I think that's where my biggest issue with it would be. Um, but he's, he's a first round guy and he's very much an ascending talent. And I can see why it's easy to get excited about what he may become. Yeah. I would put defensive tackle. I mean, it's just a position that Way you don't really, moves. you just don't really need that. Like, Undrafted free agents, like the guys they've been using there the last few years, like Tier Tart, Matt. But you know what's interesting, Amani Bledsoe. Like all those guys were fine. Like who? You know what's interesting? (laughs) I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. Did you say this when they drafted Simmons? No, but but none of us. I mean, I guess Jarrell Casey was there, but Simmons is there. So like, you don't need another one. I mean, maybe if Christian Barmore can be Chris Jones. Then maybe, but I mean, even Chris Jones was a second round pick. So, right. You know, let's move on to number nine on our list. I, and I wasn't a huge fan of this guy, and I'm starting to come around a little bit after a lot of talking in our group chat. But Florida wide receiver Kadarius Tony, who is on the smaller side, but still, you know, 5'11, bigger than Elijah Moore, and uh, a really great, shifty, quick, fast guy playing out of the slot, who makes people miss after the catch. What are your thoughts on Kadarius Tony? I don't know how anyone, you know, what you said there, can put the tape on Kadarius Tony and not at least be a little excited, right, about what he brings to the table. Because, I mean, the athleticism just pops off the screen. more. It, it, it pops more with Tony than it does with any of the Moors, truthfully, right? I don't think there's a player in this class, a receiver, that changes direction better that can score every time he touches it like Tony can. There are guys who can do that, but I think Tony's the best one at that, right? He's incredibly elusive, so tough to deal with in space. And you saw what they did with him at Florida. We talked about how they used more at Ole Miss. Well, Florida lined him up at Wildcat quarterback. You know, they put him in the backfield. They, they, they designed a ton of plays for him. They manufactured touches for him. So incredibly dangerous play, incredibly dangerous player. Can he play a full-time role at receiver. We didn't always see it at Florida. I think that's a fair question. Um, there have been questions about his hands a little bit. I think that's a fair question. I mean, he but did it, not drop a lot of passes during the season. In fact, he like said a set was like the best drop percentage in the, in the whole country. But at the senior bowl, he just like had a lot of concentration drops that were like, right. Concerning. They were frankly concerning. And you could bring that back to nerves. Who knows? You know, it's, it's a big stage, but, but, but I no, want players at 22 time. overall who are who excel on the big stage, not who get nervous and drop the ball. Right. We had right, Taylor so. in Tennessee already, so we don't need. I think he's an else. unbelievable athlete. I think he's an he unbelievable is. athlete. Now, no one can question that. Uh, it, it jumps off the screen. I, I don't know where he's going to get drafted, and I'm going to be honest with you because you talk about uh, his here. line. His line is 27.5. 
27. Right. And and you talked about Albert Beer saying that he's maybe past guys, a guy like Bateman, because people are, you know, NFL is looking for the shifty athletic. And it wouldn't shock me. The NFL is a copycat league, right? And you look at what Kansas City's done with Tyreek Hill and every, all, all the, every other 31 team, and they, they want to replicate that. Right. It's that's not surprising. So see a guy like Kadarius Tony, you can you can start selling yourself on he can do some of those things for me. But I think there have been some off field questions here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's something to monitor. And can Tennessee dare do they do they dare dip their toes into that water again? Uh so so soon after last year's fiasco. So but a ter- a, ter- a terrific athlete. I'm I'm gonna end on that note. A terrific athlete that that can be very electric at the next level. Agreed. I, I would just worry about his ability to really play a full-time NFL wide receiver role because, like right. you said, they did manufacture a lot of touches for him, and that was almost like because it felt like they had to. And granted, he's playing with Kyle Pitts, who is basically a big wide receiver out there hogging all the targets. But, you know, a guy with only one year of production and those injury concerns, he's he's been injured before, so something you have to think about for, for spending the 22nd overall pick combined with some rumored, you know, off-field issues or whatever is going on there. So, Kadarius Tony, I think he's in play at 22, but ultimately, like, he's not my first choice. Is kind of how yeah, I feel. He's one of, out of this list that we've run through tonight. I think he's probably one of the one of the least likely ones. Agreed, agreed. Although he definitely would add an electric element to the offense that nobody on the nobody else on the Titans has. Absolutely. Okay. Would. We have a one final player on our list, and then we do have a few honorable mentions that we'll just kind of briefly talk about. Number 10 is a guy who is, you know what? He's not that high on your big board. He's number 44 overall on your big board. So to take him at 22 overall would be pretty interesting. But Matt Miller, mocks, latest mock draft, there will be another one before the NFL draft, so... We'll see who he gives the Titans in his final mock, which is where he nailed Jeffrey Simmons and Isaiah Wilson the past two seasons. But in his one before that one, his second to final mock, he has the Titans taking Levi on Wu Zarike, the defensive tackle out of Washington. Yeah, really, really good football player. And I know I have him at 44, but I do think he's someone that makes sense in that 35, you know, to 45 range, so to speak. Don't quite have a first round grade on him, but he's a guy that I like because he can do a lot for you, right? He's an excellent run defender, but he also has enough juice to get off, uh, to, you know, to get after the passer. You know, he gets off the snap in, in great fashion. He's got a quick get off. He's, he's explosive in that area of the game. You watch the tape from 2019 because he didn't play in 2020, but you watch what he did against Cal, you know, you watch what he did against Washington state. There's some really good tapes here that you can study on Levi and Uzurike. And, and I will say one of the biggest personalities of any player that I interviewed throughout this cycle, I think I ask you this almost every other week, but are we allowed to cuss on here? Of course. Perfect. Cause he cussed quite a few, probably cussed more than any other player I've interviewed. I mean, Tevin Jenkins, what it was probably a close number two, but uh, you know, I'm asking him, and it just caught me off guard so much. I couldn't help but burst out into tears laughing because I thought I had asked a technical enough question. I said, what do you love about playing defensive tackle? And he took a second to pause and he's like, you know what, bro? I, I really just like fucking people up. <laughs> and I just, I didn't see it coming. And, and, and he said it again later, right? I think I asked him, tell me about your pass rush arsenal, you know, five minutes later in the conversation. And he goes, yeah, I really just like, you know, exploding out of my stance and fucking someone up. 
<laughs> so he kept going back to the same thing and it was hilarious and it was great. And I love his attitude. He's physical and it shows on tape, right? It, it translates. What you see is what you get. You know, he talks like it and he backs it up on tape. He's physical. He's aggressive. He's mean. He's nasty. He's a really good defensive tackle. Probably uh, not probably. He is probably the second best defensive tackle in this class. I feel comfortable saying behind Barmore. Again, we've, we've touched on it. It's a weak class, but he is the second best DT in this class. He's a good player, does a lot for you, both as a run stopper and as a pass rusher. I like him a fair bit. If Titans came away with him in the second round, for example, even though I don't think it's the biggest need, I'd probably get behind it because I really like the football player. So taking him at 22 just feels early, but again, this is the type of thing where we don't really know it's what's going on this draft. Year. Yeah. We don't know who's going to go when. And if the defensive tackle class is as shallow as everyone says it is, what that does is push the good ones way up right. because teams feel if they wait, then they'll be stuck with what they believe to be the worst class of all time, apparently. I'm glad you said that because I don't think that gets enough credit. I don't think fans realize that enough is maybe they take them at 22 because there are no other DTs, and they they know they're going to get a good receiver in the 50s. Exactly. Maybe a Rashad Bateman is there. Maybe a Tony is there. Maybe an Elijah Moore is there. Maybe a Rondale Moore is there, right? Certainly an Amari Rogers is there, a Dwayne Estridge. So there are going to be so many receiver options later. There aren't going to be any DT options later. You know, very, very few of them, right? There's and- There's – Right. You start you quickly get into the range in these D tackles where they start to get a little undersized. They're pass rushing specialists, but you don't think they can play three downs. So, you know, you start running out of these guys quickly. So, right. So maybe you wait on a a receiver. Maybe you wait on a corner. You can certainly wait on an offensive tackle. There's so many good ones excite that ones that excite me personally in this class. So you're right. It pushes other guys up the board. Maybe I take it on Muzarike earlier than I should because I don't like any of the other D tackles. That's how I'm rationalizing it. If this is the direction the Titans go and it's all based to me, I, I would think the Titans didn't think they had a big need at defensive tackle, but this is all coming basically from that Matt Miller report that, you know, watch out for the Titans to take a D tackle at 22. And maybe they just feel like that's where this class is pointing them to take unless someone else were to fall. So that completes our list. Should we name our, our very few honorable mentions here? Because I feel like this has been our longest episode ever. And I hope people are still listening, but well, let's quickly run through two or three honorable mentions. I think we had a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, one guy we talked about extensively is Devontae Smith. So if we're talking about top 10 most likely options and, and we're seriously considering the idea of the Titans trading up to 16, 19 or whatever, then I think Devontae Smith's got to be at least in the realm of conversation for most realistic guys. And we talked about him at length already, but just in terms of realisticness, I think he's in the conversation for sure. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. He has to be in the conversation. And it's just because of the concerns about him falling because of his size more than anything, many questions about him, his talent as a player. Um, Next guy on our list is Joe Tryon, uh, who's a guy that you really like and who would just be one of this, part of this unpredictable class here if he were to be the pick at 22 overall, right? Yeah, I think there's a decent chance that Tryon crawls into the first round. Uh, it's funny. We just talked about his teammates, right, on, on Muzurike. When I was watching that Washington defense, I mean, they were so much fun to watch. You know, they played together in 2019. 
what, what a blast they were. And Tryon had eight sacks that year, and they were a great defense. And both of those guys jump off the screen. And, and several other players on that Washington defense that I think are good draftable players, more so on, on the secondary. But Tryon and Uzurike lining up there in the front seven, really exciting. Tryon's got great skills. He's very athletic. The testing was good. He can get off the line of scrimmage. He can drop in coverage a little bit. He does some really good things in the run game. I, I highlighted that on Twitter a couple months back. I tweeted a clip of him making a great play in the run game that, you know, things we don't talk about enough so to speak but he plays the run game he gets after the passer again he had eight sacks in 2019 the length is there the measurables the size he was productive he's athletic he's a good player and and he's a guy that i can see i i'm writing a mock draft right now that's going to publish this week on the draft network uh for all 32 teams not just titan centric of course i i got him at 32 to tampa bay that's where I have Tryon because I do think he's going to crawl into the first round right at the end there. Again, 22 is probably a little early for him, but uh, really good player. And, and if, if one of these edge guys crawls into the first round, the Joe Asais, the Peyton Turners, the Boogie Bashams, uh, I think it'll be Joe Tryon if one of those, if it's going to be one of them to crawl into the bottom half of the first round there. Well, I'll counter that by moving on to the next player on our list, who is Joseph Osai out of Texas, the outside linebacker slash edge who could play kind of off ball or on the line, I think entering the draft mostly as an edge, but you know, he's a versatile player that the Titans have reportedly met with multiple times, according to Chrissy Freud. And I do think that, that Joseph Osai going in the first round feels early. It really does, but he had such an explosive pro day. I mean, really explosive. And I think that that is, is the type of thing that can launch a guy into the first round and maybe not all the way to 22, but I think just because of how much reported interest we've heard between the Titans and Osai, that makes me just include him at the at the very end of the conversation of possible picks in the first round. Can we make a friendly bet? Sure. Do you think he gets drafted before Tryon? Uh, ultimately, I think they're both like going to go in the 30s. So that's tough for me to say. But I'm going to say Tryon. I feel very I'll, comfortable saying I'll Tryon gets friend, drafted before yeah. I'll make a friendly bet with you just because it's fun and Osai went to Texas, so sure. We'd have do to it. do something on this show. Okay. Maybe you one, sing the Canadian National Anthem if, if it's try-on. I, I would, but nobody wants to hear me sing anything, trust me. <laughs> okay. Well, no one wants to hear me sing. Maybe you admit that, you know, maybe you, you write an essay on why bagged milk is better. Oh, God. Okay. The other person has to write an essay on why their country's choice to store milk is the better milk. Storage. I mean, do you have another idea? I, I don't know. We, we got to do something though. Cause I feel, I feel very good about Tryon gets drafted before Osai. Interesting. Yeah. Let's do it. The milk challenge. It is <laughs> the milk challenge. It is let's, let's, let's rock and roll with it. All right. I love it. Well, that's going to wrap up the show here. And I just want to say one last word of, of encouragement to Titans fans before Thursday. And that's that, it doesn't matter what what we think, and nobody knows anything about anyone in the draft because everything is is random, and it's all just a total crapshoot. And half these guys are going to be terrible at the NFL level, and maybe more than half. This could end up being one of the worst drafts we've ever had mm. outside of the quarterback position because— That's a really optimistic note you're ending on. <laughs> because the overall like draft-eligible pool is like half of what it is in a normal year. It's normally around 1,200 players. This year, it's 600. And just pure numbers would tell you that the more people you have, the better chance you have of having 
really good players going to the league. So I just think that we could be in for something where, you know, like most of the guys that we are all talking about right now are just totally irrelevant three years from now. So don't be too upset, no matter who the Titans draft. Let them get on the field and play before you get all upset. Like we, I look we talk forward, about. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I I'm look done. forward to pulling up this clip next week when you absolutely freak out about the pick. No, I'm going to love the pick because they're going to draft Caleb Farley in the first round, and then they're going to turn around and grab Rashad Bateman in the second round, and everyone's going to be like, J-Rob is a god, genius person. Well, I hope you're right, but I, I'm already laughing because I feel like, what well, you know, let's give them a chance, and then next week you're going to be yelling on this show yeah, about we'll whatever. See. I can't believe they took Christian Barmore. I can't believe it. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But look, this has been a really long episode, but you know what? I can't imagine it being any different. We are one of your, I would like to think your go-to Titan show when it comes to things NFL draft, right? Just because of, you know, your knowledge of it and, and what I do. Uh, we cover the draft extensively here. I'm very excited. I can't believe that next week's episode, we'll be talking about who the first round pick was. That is crazy and cool and awesome. We're already here. We finally, finally almost one week. We away. made it. Yeah, one great week coming up. Well, why don't you tell people what you got on deck for this last week before the draft? Ah, uh, well, I I do have a well. This is coming out on Friday, so this weekend I've got nine interviews publishing between Friday and Sunday. Jeez. Uh, more small, you know, smaller school guys, a couple guys who are flying under the radar. Day three, uh, you know, priority free agent types. It, it's, I'm being honest, it's the weekend, so I'm not going to run a, you know, something crazy huge, but I do have nine interviews. So the, the quality is wow. there, the content is there. And there are some good players there. I've got a couple big guys from Iowa, Chauncey Goulston, who is a day three D line guy that I like, Alaric Jackson, uh, an experienced four year offensive tackle from Iowa. I've got a kicker and I've got several other interviews running. Uh, again, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Next week, I've got a big week plan of interview. It's a four-day week, technically, for me because I will have every interview published by Thursday, and I've got some good ones. I've got uh, ones that I've been keeping in the chamber for draft week. I'm publishing Aziso Jalari next week. I'm publishing Rashad Bateman next week. I'm publishing Boogie Basham next week. I'm publishing my interview with Eric Stokes next week. I'm publishing my interview with Terrace Marshall next week. I'm publishing Josh Matterbebe, the receiver from Illinois who would have set the record for the vertical jump if there was a combine, he jumped through the roof. I've got Daz Newsom, another fun receiver from North Carolina. I've got KJ Costello, a day three quarterback who has met with the Titans. So, uh, I, and this is all happening from Monday to Thursday, every name that I just gave you. So a lot of content, mock drafts, uh, more, again, more radio appearances. I'll be doing Sirius Satellite Radio uh, with Patrick Meager on the wrap next Friday night live during round two. I talked about what I'm doing today, Friday afternoon. I'm joining Blaine and Mickey. I'm excited about that. Mickey Ryan, you know, great guy. Blaine Bishop, great guy. To talk Titans draft on, on 104.5 The Zone. That's happening at 2.20 p.m. Central. Uh, the George Plaster Show at 4 p.m. on National Sports Radio. So I've got a huge week planned and, and I'm excited for it all. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited for these prospects to find their home. I've, I've done more than 150 interviews this cycle. I've gone to know. So every year I tell myself and I tell you this when I panic, there's no way that I can top what I did last year, but I'm a freak and I'm a nut when it comes to this stuff. I, I love what I do and I'm very lucky to do this. So I'm always trying to outdo myself. 150 interviews this year. I've spoken to so many terrific young men, so many guys. I'm excited to watch their life change next weekend and to have those conversations with them 
and to see where they end up and to excite the fan bases because through myself, through the draft network, I'm going to be, we'll be publishing links as these guys that I've interviewed as they get drafted. I want fan bases to go out and look at them. If I know you're not listening to this, if you're a Panthers fan, most likely, but you know, I've got a lot of Panthers fans, a lot of all 32 fan bases follow my work. So if you're a Panthers fan and I interviewed your third round pick, well, we're going to tweet it out. Hey, Panthers fans get, you know, get familiar with your third round pick. I did that with the Titans last year, right? Last year, I had interviewed Christian Fulton. I interviewed Isaiah Wilson. I interviewed Laurel Murchison. I interviewed Darrington Evans. And, and what did I do Thursday night, Friday night? I ran through threads about my experiences with them, talking to them, reviewing their tape. What kind of player are they? What kind of person are they? So I've got a huge week planned and, and I'm really excited for it. I can go on and on, but it's going to be a terrific week. And, and I hope you'll stick with me. And I thank everyone for sticking with me through yet another draft season. This is year five for me. And uh, I'll tell you what, it hasn't lost its shine for me. It gets more fun every single year. I've had a blast doing it. And I'm, al I'm already planning year six. You know how I am. I'm, I'm crazy about this. But uh, really looking forward to wrapping up with a really strong week. And I'm not going to sleep. And I'm, I'm going <laughs> to learn that the hard way. Day three is typically my busiest day believe it or not, because it's when the most picks are made. It's when the most guys I've interviewed, again, because of the sheer amount of picks. I interview a ton of day three picks. I'm going to start working the phones. I'm going to confirm some undrafted free agents. I'll be breaking news for all 32 teams on that front when it comes to PFAs, hopefully a couple Titans ones. And uh, it's it's going to be a fun week, man. That's all I can really say to sum it up. Nice. Yeah. And if uh, Music City Audible day ones maybe recall one of our first episodes we had christian fulton on this podcast and we did a tape with a titan with him where we broke down his college film which you can find on youtube so who knows maybe if you uh know any players that end up being drafted by the titans possible that they might be right. able to be brought onto the show they might make an appearance on this show yeah very well we shall see all right that'll do it for this episode i am excited for next week when we will be reacting to the titans first round pick if of course, they don't trade out of the first round, which I would be pretty I'd be pretty stunned if they did that just because I don't think anyone is coming up from out of the first round to 22. I, just, I don't think that's happening. So I do think the Titans will make a pick next week. And I think we should wrap this up with one final prediction. One player, Ooh. the Titans take at 22. Who you got? You're going to do that to me? Yeah, on the spot. Well, I should stick with my pick that I'm making in the mock, and I know it's a dangerous one to make, but I, I the, the draft network mock that I'm currently putting together, I, I, I've got Caleb Farley there. Nice, and you know what? I've been I've said it twice already, so I'm gonna stick with it. That is my official prediction, Caleb Farley, 22. It's, I've I've been a very uh, hit or miss as a as a first round draft predictor. I think Chance Warmack was pretty easy. We all saw that one coming. Do you remember um, what I did last year? Yeah, you nailed Isaiah Wilson. No, that's it. And uh, uh, the guy, the tackle, fuck. <laughs> I went four for four in our in a in a group chat with you. The first four picks. Damn. I've never felt smarter right. in my life. Yeah. So who's I your first four Fulton. picks this year? <laughs> I called Darrington Evans in round three before they made the pick, and I, I called Laurel Murchison as well. I remember Merch, yeah, because I had a great clip to tweet out from our old podcast. Yeah, you tweeted. I think you tweeted out Evans as well at the time. Yeah, I definitely did. You're right. I definitely did. I went four yeah. for. There's no. Let's see if I can. There's no way I'm gonna do that again. But we'll see if I do. You're my witness because it'll probably be in a text message or something with you. But when the Titans come on the clock, you know, we, we just made the prediction Farley, but he could be gone by then, right? We don't know, but I'll, I'll make the prediction before they make the pick and we'll, we'll see if I can replicate last year's form. 
Yeah, that'd be pretty great. So we're all Murchison. I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but how the hell did I do that? <laughs> that one was amazing. That one was, it was like the fifth round it was, right? Or something. I, yeah. And and we were all like, who? <laughs> right. And I and then they made and I just I was like, I think I put on I Am a God by Kanye West after they made that. I just I could not believe <laughs> that I nailed that one. Yeah. Pretty great. All right, let's get out of here. It's been a long episode. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. And remember, we are the Music City Audible podcast. Wherever you're listening to this, if you just happen to pick it up and start listening because it's draft season and it's a week before the draft and you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe so that our episodes show up in your feed every Friday going forward. That's our day. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at MCA Broadway. Justin is at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. That'll do it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week to recap the Titans first round draft selection. Until then, everyone stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.